Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop, and hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Ariel Hitron, CEO and co-founder of Second Nature. We're getting the materials and the kind of messaging marketing we're getting everything. Here's our messaging. The reality is nobody cares. Nobody cares about your messaging. Yeah. And now you have a very short time span and you have to understand what do they care about at this point in time? What do I have to prove to them today in 13 seconds or five minutes or 25 minutes if you're lucky? And how do I focus the conversation on that? This is Ariel. He has held various executive positions, including VP of New Markets and VP of Sales and Customer Success at Kaltura. He's a tech entrepreneur drawing from the experience in both the field and the lab. He has run global sales teams with dozens of reps, built playbooks and training sessions for sales as a product marketer, and earlier in his career designed and developed multiple software product lines from the ground up, each generating tens of millions of recurring revenue used by millions of consumers. What he learned is that the key to success in scaling a sales organization is hiring the best people and then coaching them to be even better. And that is why he co-founded Second Nature in 2018. Second Nature is on a mission to help make talking about your products as easy as Second Nature, to ace every sales call. And that inspired me. And hence I invited Ariel to my podcast. We explore what is broken in the way we equip sales to deliver top performance. We discuss the disconnect between sales and marketing and how things can change for the better if these departments would actually understand each other. Ariel shares his big lessons learned from starting and gaining traction with a SaaS business in a very crowded market. And last but not least, he tells about the do's and don'ts to create a software business that no one can ignore. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why many software vendors don't get the traction they hope for. Secondly, how to overcome the cynicism in the market around embracing innovation. Thirdly, what would be the best investments to make in the early stage of your product evolution? And fourthly, how to go about making big steps forward in your startup journey without burning yourself out. Well, hi Ariel. Thank you for making the time available today and being a guest on the podcast. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. Super excited towards it. That's what I actually have in mind as well, that this is going to be a pretty interesting conversation. First of all, because of the name of your company, Second Nature, which like already kind of brings up so many questions and ideas. So we're going to talk about that, what you're up to. But just to start, tell the audience a little bit about you and what defines you. If you would have to define yourself as a person or entrepreneur, what words come up? That's a great question. I think diligent, persistent, hopefully creative, if I have to limit myself to three. Good one. Persistence is always one that comes back. And I understand why. Because <laughs> I've done <laughs> 200 episodes and I know how hard it is to realize the vision. What are you passionate about? I think that I'm very passionate about making a positive impact in the world in general. And like putting it in a very broad terms. I think that specifically for second nature is helping people get better at what they do at their professional life. And I think that the idea of second nature that brought us, me and my partner alone towards it was a combination of multiple things. Part of it was my past experience because I worked in previous companies and I worked with large enterprises and their training, learning departments, et cetera. And I've seen how the industry trains and learns. I think that was it. I think another part of it is what started to happen when we were kind of thinking about the company is that Alexa products and Siri and all of that really took waves and was kind of gaining a lot of traction. I had my kids kind of speaking with Alexa all of the time, like you said before that we started recording. I think that's like something that I've seen happening. And I've really thought, what if, what if we could marry those two things together? So I think yeah. that was kind of on the technology side. Yeah. What was the business problem that you saw? So I think it came from my personal background. I'm a product guy in my background. So I was an engineer, went into product management, did many years in product management, leading the product teams, et cetera. And that included product marketing. And we created all of the messaging for the sales team. Right, So the sales team, we created the messaging, there was a deck and there was a battle card, it was this, that. And I thought like, guys, it's so easy. You have the messaging, right? You have the document. Just read the document and the accounts fall into your lap. It would be so easy. <laughs> and you have the deck also, so it's, it's really easy. And then I moved roles and I started leading a sales team. I was going with them in the field and kind of looking at the great messaging that my team previously created. And I was looking at it from the side and I said, like, this is complete nonsense. A, nobody speaks like that. Nobody ever speaks like what we wrote there in, in this battle card. And B, nobody has the patience to go through all of our slide decks. Like, so I think that was a moment of realization for me, looking at the same problem from different aspects or different perspectives and realizing that there's a huge gap between people who are writing like messaging product pages, et cetera, and the moment of truth within a sales process or within other processes, right? We can talk about that as well, but kind of narrowing down to sale. And in a sales process, it's funny. You're trying to gain and win the attention of the other side. And if you're like an SDR and you're doing cold calling, you have 13 seconds. Yeah. You have 13 seconds to justify why should they give you like more time? Because I don't know you. You just called my phone. Like, why should they give you more time? So that's very hard. You have to be really focused. And then if you get the meeting, then presumably you have like 30 minutes. 
But in reality, within five minutes tops, people kind of lose attention. They start doing their emails, especially today with the Zoom and whatnot. So yeah. you have to be really sharp at that. So how do you make sure that you can get your message across in a way that's relevant to this specific conversation? That's the key there, yeah. The relevance. Yeah, and it's, I mean, to get the message across is pretty easy, but the relevance, will it hit the right nerve? This is why, I mean, talking about, I mean, I told you that I wrote my book and really chapter number nine, no, 10 actually, is remarkable software companies and actually remarkable salespeople hit the right nerve. When you get that, that is so powerful, but it's so hard. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that it's more about listening than talking. Oh. I think it's more about understanding where you are in the process. And it's about being incremental with your asks, right? When we're getting the material, we're a sales team, right? We're getting the materials and the kind of messaging for marketing. We're getting everything. Here's our messaging. The reality is nobody cares. Nobody cares about your messaging. Yeah. And now you have a very short time span and you have to understand what do they care about at this point in time? What do I have to prove to them today in 13 seconds or five minutes or 25 minutes if you're lucky? And how do I focus the conversation on that out of everything that I have in my bag of tricks Excellent. on what's important right in front of me to this person that I'm speaking with at this stage, this moment in time? Yeah, so true. And I mean, you bring back so many memories because I was indeed in, your, in the role that you have been as well, you know? heading up product marketing, heading up product management in that combination. And I had the same thoughts like, guys, don't you get this? <laughs> <laughs> right? I wrote uh, it. You have all of the features, all of the benefits, everything is in the dock. <laughs> how hard can it be? Exactly. How hard can it be? Well, but so that's what you started out to solve in 2018. And we'll talk a little bit about how you do that. But then you kind of launched it. What do you see as the biggest difference from companies that like in the before and the after of having suddenly something in between that solves that vacuum? Yeah. So I think that, you know, the problem that we set up to solve is helping salespeople be more productive, is having better conversations. And by the way, not just sales, and hopefully we'll have time to get into that. But I would say that this problem had many solutions before we came along. Like there's a whole industry of sales training. Yeah. There's a lot of companies who help you record calls and you can analyze calls, like a lot of companies in that space that have been doing very well recently. So there's a lot of other solutions out there, right? It's not that the world was sitting at the edge of its seat waiting for our solution. And awesome. I think that what we've found is that those are all great solutions, but they are not tackling the entire problem and they're not going to the hardest problem to solve. And the hardest problem to solve is the conversation itself. Let me make a small interruption here. Ariel just made an excellent remark about what set second nature apart from the very beginning, focusing all their efforts on solving the hardest problem, the conversation itself. Far too often, we create products that focus on just taking away non-valuating repetitive tasks within the process. And that is fine to free people up. But what if you go one step further and focus on helping those people we seek to serve achieve the results that they've never believed possible before. And to do so, we have to solve the hardest problem. And that is exactly what Second Nature does. It's a trade remarkable software companies master. They focus on the essence. What is the desired outcome? And from that, they create new value possibilities that are highly desirable. This sparks momentum. It's that simple. And you can master these traits as well. The first step, simply read my book, The Remarkable Effect. I've made the electronic version available for free. 
Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your own copy and inspiration will start within the first 10 minutes. Back to the interview. So if you're doing a training session, for example, and you're sitting in a training, listening to someone gives a training, probably forgetting most of it in a couple of days. Okay, because yeah. that's like passive learning. Okay, great. If you're just kind of speaking with your prospects and this is being recorded and hopefully someone will give you feedback on it, right? It may happen. It may not happen. It depends on the person who gives you feedback. Most often than not, your managers are busy doing other things. So they won't, would not give you feedback. That's one. The second is you have no control over the conversation because there's a, another person on the other end. There's no structure. There's no repeatability. There's no way a safe place to practice. And what we're doing at Second Nature is we're allowing people to practice their sales conversations in an interactive way, like you would do with an Alexa or a Siri when they represent the buyer and you're playing the role of the seller. So it's like simulation, like a role play, but it's a complete voice interaction. You can ask questions, you get responses back from the buyer. We call her Jenny. You can ask Jenny questions and Jenny could answer. She might ask you questions and you'd answer hers. And then eventually she'll give you feedback. She'll say, look, Ariel, in this specific conversation, with this specific buyer, A, you did not uncover their biggest pain. B, because you did not uncover it, you did not address it. And C, you did not take any next steps. So you're really a mediocre salesperson. And by the way, 80% of your peers have done a better job than you, Ariel. <laughs> Would you like to try again? And that kind of motion helps reps understand what they're good at, what they've missed, yeah. and try it. multiple times. Because I think that sales is like a performance art. It's like sports, right? You don't see a pianist that says, I only play in shows. I never practice. Like nobody does that. You practice all day long, and then you give a show once in a while, right? You don't see an athlete, a professional athlete that says, I don't practice, I only go to games. Like nobody does that. Everybody practices all the times. But in sales, we have the feeling that we can just wing it and just go to the games and see how it goes. Well, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and kind of, and yeah, the training part is where the art really matters. I mean, yesterday I had a call with one of my customers and indeed I did help them with helping their salespeople get from being feature sellers to value sellers. And the question that I had after about one and a half, two months was now, okay, so how did they then bring that to practice? And then, of course, you hear the stories. Some did, some didn't. Some had great success with it, others not yet. But life goes on, you know, after training, life goes on. And you need to keep practicing. The ones that actually take those things at heart and start doing something with it, yeah, I mean, they make it out of it. But that's only a fraction of the Absolutely. People. So they say... Yeah. You know, practice makes perfect. I think that it's better said practice and feedback makes perfect, right? Because you need the right Very good, feedback yeah. for your practice. And I think that eventually what we're trying to do is we're trying to help organizations drive change. Yeah. Drive change within the organization. You're doing a training. Why are you doing training? Because you want people to change their behavior. You want them to change. They used to do feature selling. Now you want to do solution selling. They used to sell only this product. Now they want, you want to sell a suite. They used to sell on-premise software. Now you want them to sell cloud. They used to have this old branding. Now there's a new branding and a new messaging. Like Things exactly. happen and you need to drive change. Now, if you have a very small team, then you can do it manually. You can talk to them. You can kind of have conversations, et cetera. But what if you have like 200 people or 2,000 people or 20,000 people? How do yeah. you align everyone on the new messaging that's being Impossible. rolled out consistently yeah. across the board? It's really hard. 
It is, exactly. Super, super. So, I mean, I want to get my hands on this. I want to try it myself at some point in time. But beyond that, so you started this in 2018. The company has grown quite, quite a bit since then. So what I'm always interested in is what was the journey? You know, there was a problem. You started thinking about a solution. Of course, there are a lot of technology already available. What did you decide to kind of focus on yourself and create defensible differentiation with? And what were the areas where you said, okay, we're going to put these things together in order to kind of create speed? For sure. So first of all, I think we were incorporated in 2019. So it's been a bit shorter journey shorter. Than, than that. But look, I think that you have to take an unconventional approach and you have to be right. Those are the two things that needs to happen for the startup to succeed. You have to be unconventional I go against the common way that people are doing things and you have to get it right. And our common thing was that having an AI on the other end would cross the chasm, would work, and would be convincing enough for professional salespeople to believe that that brings them value. Because we all know that you know, there's a big hype about AI, et cetera, but eventually you're getting like a call center and it's a navigation in a tree and... It's something very basic and you say, okay, like what's the big story here, right? Yeah. Or you speak with your Siri and there's a lot of hype around it, but eventually like you're asking her to play a song and that's it, right? So kind of the bet we were making was we can use the technology available and things that we would develop on top of it to make it realistic enough and yeah. effective enough for salespeople to buy into it. And that has not been done before. Like we have not seen anyone who's doing training, coaching, certification with an AI that has a voice conversation with you. It's not a multiple choice, like select, do you want to go A, B, or C? It's a free-flowing conversation that is mature enough to give you feedback and that, you know, says people are cynical by their nature. They think, ah, I don't think it will work, right? So that was the bit. And I think that the journey we started off with the hardest thing is with this, can we build a prototype? that would be convincing enough for salespeople to give any attention to it. Yeah. And for me, it was because it's a little bit out there, you know, it's a little bit unconventional. It's, there's a lot of doubt in people's mind. It was getting my wife to believe that this is doable. And after I got my wife, getting my partner, and then getting my first customers, and then yeah. getting investors, then getting some more customers, <laughs> then getting some more investors, and growing that community around it, the people who believe this would, Bring in value today, we're seeing tens of thousands of people, with thousands of people in many organizations, including Fortune 100 and others who are using this tool consistently and repeatedly. So yeah. I think that that was all part of that journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What was the hardest thing to crack here? Was it technology or was it more mindset? I think it was both. I think the technology is evolving super fast. So yeah. the stack of natural language processing and natural language generation and the tools that are available today are growing super fast. But I think that putting, marrying the technology with a specific use case and speaking with people who've been in enterprise sales, selling 
high ticket items, millions of dollars for many, many years and going past the cynicism and saying, yes, this could help me. I think that was the hardest part. So it's still that, how do you say that? I don't believe you, the trust part. And the thing, yeah, the, I think, the part at the end is like, what do you have to lose? <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I think that the trust part, what I found, it, it goes in stages. First one is, I don't believe this is working. It's a nice story. I don't think it will work. Then we show the demo, then say, okay, it's working. I get it. But we're special. We're a large organization. We're a small organization. We sell enterprise. We sell SMB. It works in general. It works for Zoom or it works for Checkpoint or it works for others, but it would not work for us. We're special. And then you say, okay, so let's run a pilot together. Let's have like 50 of your sales team go through it and let's get the feedback from them. And I think then it's like, sure. And once they start getting the feedback from their own team, then they believe. Yeah. That's what I always refer to. That's, I mean, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, but at the end, it's about creating a software company that creates products or solves problems for customers with products that they would miss if it were gone. That is possibly the biggest challenge, you know, first of all, to get people to buy in and to try it out, but then, okay, we do a proof of concept with 50 people and now we take it away. And then when customers come hunting after you because they want it back. For sure. For sure. And I think you're hundred percent. I think it goes on many levels. Yeah. Right. So for us, we're selling into large enterprises with hundreds of reps, sometimes thousands. So it's different stakeholders in the organization as well. You have the users. Right. So seeing the responses that we're getting from the sales professionals and how they feel with this tool, the feedback that they're giving us, I think that's like inspiring to see in the way that they feel that this helps them. And I think the other one is going with the managers, the training teams, the enablement teams, et cetera, and understanding what it gives from an organization perspective. Because like on a personal level, everybody wants to get better. Yeah. Nobody wants to be evaluated or tested. Nobody says, hey, today I'm, <laughs> I'm eager to get evaluated. Like nobody says that ever. Everybody wants like a safe environment, practice to get better and then to shine and be the top of the leaderboard. Nobody wants to be tested in front of his manager and saying, okay, no, that's, that's exactly. Right? So you take so, a lot of that away as well, yeah. Yeah. So that takes kind of that away. And then in a corporate level, in an organizational level, like a big organization is like a large ship and navigating that ship through change is really hard, right? You think of Zoom as an example, just because everybody knows them, right? Companies doing extremely well during the pandemic. Everybody's kind of rushing into Zoom, but they have more than just this product that we're using right now for this call. They have multiple products. So how do they change the behavior of the sales team to sell all of those different products. Then COVID hopefully is dwindling down. People are going back to work. How does that change the narrative? Change in in the external industry or the external world that applies to your own selling motion. How do you cope with the change in that way? How do you adapt as a large sales organization? Yeah. Right. Driving change. That's what we do as managers and leaders, right? Yeah, and you cannot be fast enough sometimes with this. We've heard all the stories when COVID hit, of course, when the world shut down and and everything that became different then and priorities changed and then, yeah, try to figure out what's the story. But then if you have five people, that's okay. You're almost in one room or five calls away, but with a large organization, it's impossible. And if people just keep hammering the same thing, everything will go wrong there. So were there any 
convictions that you had that ended up different from what you expected? I think there were, but not in a very significant way. Okay. I think the thing that I've learned the most is that eventually it's all about people, especially in the early stage. You have to have the believers, both on the companies that you work with as customers in your investment team, et cetera. You have to have the believers. And I think it, I was surprised by how far they're promoting you or they're helping you or they're kind of making it their own once they get connected to it. Yeah. So I think that was something that was a surprise for me, understanding that dynamics. Yeah. It reminds me of another company that's in the voice space that's been acquired at the end, I think by Citrix, a company called Voicea. And they also created a tool that gave you sort of a summary after a meeting. What happened? What was discussed? What were the action items? And the whole thing was about turning kind of the fear of missing out of not being part of meeting to the joy of missing out. <laughs> and that created sort of a viral effect that everybody was saying, okay, I don't have to be part of those meetings. Give me the tool. So yeah. they had a viral effect of what is it? The end was like one or close to one. I mean, did you see anything or do you see anything happening like that with people telling each other? Yeah, we see people telling each other. I think that what we see in organizations is both on the rep side, but mostly on leadership and then product marketing because like the sales people are on the front line they're there they're fighting the battle day in day out and there's a lot of people who want to influence what they're doing in a large enterprise right yeah. you have the product marketing that is responsible for this product versus that product versus this product etc and they all want to influence what the sales team is selling right exactly so what we've seen is that once they've seen that this is a good way to change behaviors, to make new habits, to make a new talk track, the, the sales team second nature, then they all want in. They all want to have a part of it. They all want the sales team to be going through the simulations, that simulations, et cetera. So I think that yeah. that was one of it. I think the other one that was surprising for me is looking at the different use cases because we had our own thesis about starting with sales and then going into other types of conversations, right? So going into customer support, yeah. going into customer success, going into hiring, et cetera. Yeah. What we found is that our customers are pulling us into different directions altogether, like training the managers to have coaching conversations with their reps, yeah. training the managers to avoid biases when having hard conversations. Things like, oh, I think you're too young for this promotion. That's like an age bias. So how do you avoid that? How do you train yourself to avoid it? And how do you navigate a conversation like that in a professional way, in an adequate way? So this is nothing to do with sales. This is just like management, coaching of management, et cetera. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there are so many of those very important conversations happening every day. I mean, at the end, it's a people world. So it's, And we're not all in sales, but we all have yeah, those conversations there. Especially, I think, well, in the hiring, it's a very good one. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions was like, did, were there any surprising byproduct? But you just yeah, put a focus <laughs> on that. <laughs> now, I mean, I kind of reflected or we, I mentioned my book already once or twice, The Remarkable Effects. You've been an entrepreneur for a while now. What do you believe are traits that software companies should have in order to create the software products that people keep talking about? So I think like being very transparent and honest, I don't know. I think nobody actually knows. I don't think there's one playbook that is the right way of doing things, et cetera. 
I think that what worked for me so far is being very attentive to the customers. And I think that doing it in a way that goes deep. And what I mean by that is when people see the tool that we have, they get excited and say, oh, it's so cool. What if we could do this? And what if we could do that? And they have an idea about this and an idea about that. And you have to know how to filter that and say, okay, great. If we would build that, what you said, and the price of that would be that much, could you get that approved, right? And I think that that helps me in two ways. One is it generate revenue for the company, which is great. But more importantly, it gives a much clearer signal if this is a nice to have, if this is a must have, is this like, how deep do you need this thing that you're getting excited about? Can you get others excited about it internally? Can you get budget approval for it? So, so important. Think- yeah. Yeah. It talks to the triangle that I talk about. And I think it's in the first couple of pages of my book. Is it valuable? Is it critical or urgent? And the third question then from our side or from the software vendor side, can we actually exceed expectations on this? Because if one of those questions is a no, don't even go there. Because either you end up with, with something that is like not valuable, but you know it's tough, but they will never invest in it. The other one is like, it's a nice to have. And the other one is like, you will be beaten out of the house within minutes because the competition is just way better than you. <laughs> so it's For sure. I think that understanding, especially yeah. in the enterprise, who is it urgent for? So you might have different buyer personas, you might have different people, and it's not urgent for the HR officer, but it is urgent for the VP of sales. So you have to know how to exactly. assign it to the right person and really understand what drives them, what triggers that. Yeah. Yeah. What are the situations where they feel frustrated, anxious? What are they going through? And what's the consequence of doing nothing? Yeah. Super. So, I mean, having this tool right now and kind of people really excited about it, what do you believe is holding you back when it comes to yeah, delivering the mission? getting it out there. I think what's holding me back, I think it's, you know, I've been in other companies where we grew significantly. Like I started off as part of the founding team and grew to about 400 people. So I've, in my previous life, before starting this company, and I think that there's different stages in the process that we go through, right? Right now, we've built a product, we've sold it, we have great kind of customers who are partners with us. Now we have to scale it and we have to find the right partners. We have to cross the chasm from the early adopters who say, yeah, this is so awesome. Technology is cool, et cetera, et cetera. Saying, okay, this is a mainstream thing. That's part of our stack for each and every sales organization. It should be. And I think that if you take the call recording kind of conversational AI, if you will, stat part of the stack that's already crossed that right so you see today most of the sales organizations yeah. in software at least have some call recording call analysis customer conversational ai etc i think that we're still early like most companies that we come to don't know tools like us and building this category building this line item into the budget i think that's kind of the next step for us so there's a lot of allocation still going on right now yeah, it's, it's people, a lot of... Yeah, it's, it's so easy to kind of fall back on traditional ways of you need to go to the centers of this world, you know? This is how category is, is being developed. It's, you start off with the early adopters, you see that they're excited, then the early majority, and then you go into the late majority, et cetera. Yeah. Right now, we're the, kind of the people who are getting most excited and are forward thinkers. Cool. So yeah, what is the biggest learning so far with regards to selling this? Is there anything that stands out there? 
in our own sales process, yeah. like how we're yeah. going to market, I think that hmm, many things to unpack there. <laughs> I think that like we're doing enterprise. So it's enterprise sales. It's a group selling and a group buying. And I think that you have to have a champion who works with you and kind of gets it. And many times they're not the decision maker, but they can get people internally excited. They can help you map the organization. They can help you understand who's most relevant for this. And they can help narrate your story in the terminology of the organization. Like big organizations have their own lingo, right? They have their own language, their own terms. So narrating this into their own lingo, I think that's key. And I think that understanding what different personas cares about, what are the pains of the different people, like the VP of sales, right? They care about increasing the productivity of the sales team, right? They have a certain budget. They have a certain number of people they can hire. How can I make the most out of each rep that's very measurable, right? How can I decrease the ramp up time by a couple of weeks? That could be tens of millions of dollars for a large enterprise. Absolutely. Exactly. So that's what they care about. If you can show them how you're doing that, then you got them. The people on the operational side, they're thinking about, okay, how much time would I need to devote to this? Would this add more time to my day-to-day or would this take off time to my day-to-day? That's what they care about. Like the organization would make a lot more money. That's great. But what about me? Do I need an additional headcount to manage this or does this take things off my plate? Like how does that reflect me personally? Can I build my career off this? Can I do this full time? Can I speak at conferences about AI after that, et cetera? So you have to really understand the enterprise as a whole and then different personas, what they care about. Yeah, completely agree on that. So kind of zooming in a little bit on the, because we're getting towards the top of the hour here, from your experience and the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over time, what would be a do and what would be a don't that you would give to aspiring tech entrepreneurs or mm-hmm. tech entrepreneurs that want to you know, pivot and kind of do something remarkable again? So again, I think that it's important to be humble. So I don't know. I don't have any crystal ball, but the things that worked for me personally is exactly along the lines of the question that you've asked. Like, what is blocking me now from my next step? What is the hurdle? And I can tell you that when I was just starting out and the hurdle was taking a risk. Like, I have a family. You have to support them. I'm going to go, like, leave my job being an employee and starting my own business. That's a risk. And how do I manage that risk and not get too stressed about it, right? And So I think that's the first thing to understand. This is what I have to uncover. This is what I have to conquer right now, like managing the risk and my feeling about it. And what helped me, for example, in this case was saying to myself, okay, great. Let's put this risk in brackets and say, okay, I'm going to invest that amount of money and that amount of time in this experiment. And if we can't raise money after that amount of time, then probably it's not meant to be. And I have to either think of a new idea or go back to being an employee or whatnot, but and I got approval from my wife for that. And that's it. Then I'm good, right? Then I'm golden. I have good. the funds on the side. I can run for that amount of time with that amount of budget. Go do it. And, you know, it seems funny when you think about it in retrospect, after you kind of raise a lot of money from VCs and you have a company and so on. But those personal things, they matter. They matter. And how you communicate about it and how you tell the story to yourself, it matters. So I think that exactly. to an entrepreneur, the do's, is think about what you need to achieve right now 
and don't think about getting overwhelmed with what you need to do in the future in like in three years we'll have a problem that the system is not scalable enough who cares like right now i have to get my wife to approve for me to go and do it for that amount of months because one that, step at a time yeah, yeah one good. step at a time so that would be the do's and maybe the don'ts i think that it's a lot about what you have the choices that you choose not to do right yeah. it's the choices you choose not to do there's a lot of opportunities out there that this could fit into so for our case fit into education like we've got approached by the department of education of doing it for education use case and schools and like learning english and all sorts of other ideas that you can get like all over the place and it can completely be, distract you yeah and, and it has to be very focused on what is the next big milestone you have to achieve and how do i get there and put all distractions yeah. aside well it brings together a couple of things that you've already said throughout the call first of all this whole thing of understanding the problem and go deep because the moment things are shallow especially also kind of to win the trust of users if it's shallow, it will only work in one or two cases, but the rest of all the conversation is like crap. I mean, people will say enough next year, maybe. The other thing is like solve the hardest problem first. I mean, I actually wrote a blog about it, I think last week. I'm going to update it with quotes from this one as well, because this is what it's really all about. Everybody can do the easy part. Everybody's always like so eager to say, okay, well, let's go for the low hanging fruit first. No, solve the hardest thing first. And then because that is what you also mentioned, unconventional. That's where it will stand out. For sure. And I think it's also fair to your investors. Look, like you're getting seed money. People know what the risks are, right? Your seed investors, they know, or pre-seed today, whatever. Like they know that there's a risk that you could not pull it off. You could not build this thing, right? If you're building a website, then maybe it's not a technology risk, but a market risk. Whatever the risk is, this is the biggest risk. And they're betting that you would be able to solve it. Now you want to de-risk the next investment, right? So the next investment is we solved this, we built it, and people are enjoying doing it. The next risk is that we won't be able to take it to market. It's a much lower risk because we did the hard part. Yeah. So it's fair to investors that you use the first money to de-risk the biggest risk. Well said. Well, thanks for this. I mean, thanks for sharing the wisdom talking about the journey and the things that you've learned. It's such an interesting solution. I mean, interesting in the right way of word, because sometimes I, I use interesting, like it's interesting. <laughs> but it's fascinating. I mean, well, talking about the word that I, that I would use for it, it's remarkable because it's what the world at the end needs. And it's taking away. I have done so many of those training sessions face-to-face -face over Zoom in the meantime as well. People always feel sort of shy speaking up in front of their colleagues in those type of role plays. I mean, my God. It's very awkward. It's very awkward. And especially, you know, we all have our identity and our reputation to protect. The more senior you are, the more reputation that you have. And maybe you don't know everything, right? And not everybody's comfortable kind of admitting it in front of a room full of people or a Zoom full of people. And that <laughs> gives you like this private space where you can try it out. You can practice it. You can master it. And, and shine. Yeah, and, and get into the moment of truth, which is the call, really kind of hitting Confidence. it. Confidence. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Well, good luck on the next part of the journey, de-risking the next the big stage, and keep us posted. Absolutely. It's been such a great pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity for being in this podcast. I really love the other episodes, and it's been like a real pleasure to be here. Same for me. Thank you very much. And this ends my conversation with Ariel. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, 
please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Ariel Hitron, co-founder and CEO of Second Nature. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.